ingredients chosen for use in our homes or in fact even in commercial kitchens. They're heavily processed to meet the needs of industrial scale and production. And it's a ground beef alternative, which basically you can do anything that you will, they will do with ground beef, but they can just make it anytime they want. Has indubitably destroyed flavor and nutrition while creating waste and increasing the carbon footprint. What the? Broadcasted from Silicon Valley, the most innovative spot on earth. Corporate, the place for corporate executives that transforms innovative threats into business opportunities. And now, let's get ready to rumble with the host, Tommaso. And we are live. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Nathan, Jonathan, Ezra, and standing. Well, I say good morning because uh, based here in San Francisco, 8.30 a.m. PST, but obviously it's fair to say good afternoon or good evening, right? Depending on where you are tuning in from or dialing in. I'm very excited to have you here today on our next episode or our current episode of Top Floor, which is already episode 11. And together with our virtual coffee, we are at 22 that we have done at this season, only focused on alternative protein. Very excited. I was mentioning the name Top Floor. Well, what's Top Floor? What's the mission here? Really to share lessons learned, experiences from hand-picked startups that present their sector-specific innovation to a jury of industry fellows. And we focus on one topic. We have been focusing in the season one and season two around the topic of next-gen protein, also known alternative protein or meat analog, you name it, right? And uh, the mission here is really to pick their brains to share it with the world and create some awareness for that so important theme on how we are going to feed 10 billion people by 2050. We have a great lineup on one hand of entrepreneurs. We have here Ezra uh, Service. Ezra joining us uh, uh, for uh, the second time in our episode. Ezra is an entrepreneur, biologist, founder of Naturanza and Funa Foods. Ezra, so great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. Outstanding. And then we have also on the startup side, Jonathan Netsky, also second time with us, joining us on our episode, this time top floor. Jonathan Netsky is a food engineer, expert and co-founder slash CEO of Local Alternative Foods and Next Veg. Jonathan, so great to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being here. And uh, together with the entrepreneurs uh, that are going to present roughly eight to 10 minutes each in a couple of seconds, on the other side of the table, we have MJ Kinney also joining us and welcoming her back again. MJ is food product development scientist, an expert in food and beverage industry and next-gen proteins. MJ, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back. Thank you, Tomato. And last but not least, uh, not only on the other side of the table, but also Nathan on the other side of the world, right? Nathan Bredesil. I, I think I messed up your beautiful French name, right? That's all right. <laughs> Consulted in agriculture and food, Asia and Europe. So great to have you, uh, Nathan. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. But without further ado, 
I would like to start sharing the screen. I was about to say to calling on stage, start sharing the screen. Ezra, Ezra Service, please take it from here. Really curious to hear what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. And again, very great to be here uh, with you during this series. So I'm founder of Natransa. I used to work on gene cloning and protein engineering, but after I became aware of the meat production and how sustainable it is, and this is how I founded Natransa. And uh, the reason was what I saw, uh, according to the calculations by 2050, it will require 98% of drinkable water and a landmass larger than 140% of the U.S. for the animal farming, which is insane. So these numbers will increase dramatically unless we can we come up with um, an alternative. Uh, that's why Nutransa produces Funa, which is a meat alternative by using cricket powder. We improve efficiency, sustainability, and nutritional content of our products while we are meeting plant-based consumer trend because we are also plant-based, uh, producing a plant-based product. Um, we call it good for us, good for me, and good for the world because cricket powder is a complete protein which includes all nine essential amino acids and contains two times more protein than meat and four times more protein than uh, the leading alternative, um, which is plant-based, and has 30 times four, uh, more B12 than even meat. And the cricket production uh, uses 250 times less water, 40 times less land, and four times less time to produce the same amount of protein than even soy. I'm not even comparing with animal farming. And uh, we produced during COVID what we noticed that we need a non-perishable protein source. It was, uh, there were other solutions for everything else, but we couldn't find non-perishable protein, which is high in uh, protein. So we came up uh, with this pivot, which uh, we created a non-perishable meal kit that once uh, our consumer can prepare at home in minutes, and it's a ground beef alternatives which basically you can, our consumer can do anything that you will, they will do with ground beef, but um, they can just make it anytime they want without any refrigera refrigeration. And it is free of hormones, antibiotics, GMOs, and it's very low in sodium. We don't use in ingredients like modified starches or canola oil, palm oil, or potassium chloride, or even nature flavors. And plant-based diets and awareness around sustainability are changing the consumer behavior. We are seeing very so much increases in the market, especially during COVID. Uh, the plant-based sales in groceries raised up to 260%. And now the people, the consumer is more looking also for the health and nutritional part of it. Um, that's why we solved the gap in the market and uh, we, uh, we produced Vuna. And the market share is, uh, the size of the total addressable market is 1.7 trillion. And thanks to Beyond Meat and the companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger, people, not just the vegetarian or vegan people are tend to go more plant-based, but also because they replicated uh, the taste of meat, meat eaters are also interested in the plant-based uh, plant industry, which makes um, the alternative protein companies taking more and more share from this $1.7 trillion market. We are first going to launch our product in our, through our e-commerce website, funafoods.com. You can also check it out. 
and um, we will have both one purchase, one time purchase as well as the subscription model. And um, we shape the subscription model around uh, replacing one out of four meals of meat of yours. And once we achieve that, actually only in California for a year, we will save 4 million cows, the carbon emission of 2 million cars and 50 million of household water and the uh, land mass equal to South Carolina. And uh, let's make an impact and you can just subscribe to our newsletter so you can learn as soon as we launch our product, which is going to be very soon. Thank you. Awesome. I was just curious to see how you mix it and how you put it together, right? So thanks for uh, sharing uh, your endeavor, how you pivoted, how you got there. Well, uh, I'd say who wants to go first? Nathan, what are your thoughts? What are your questions for, for Esther? Thank you, Tommaso. I mean, <clears throat> working in Southeast Asia, I'll say on the alternative protein side, I've been especially focused on, on, on insects. And so I'm, I'm actually a bit curious about um, at what stage of the uh, cricket value chain you are actually um, uh, working. Are you also taking care of the farming side of crickets? So we used to actually farm Hermetiolicens back in Turkey. This is how we started. And then we launched our product in pet food. And then we received proceed investments to come to United States. And um, I also mentioned, I hope it's not, I'm not repeating for others who watched uh, the virtual coffee, but I explained this story during that period when once we uh, came to United States, we noticed that starting with human food is so much better for us. Then we didn't want to both focus on the farming as well as our CPG product, because what we noticed is there is no one brand which is conquering the market in CPG in United States. I think we are so focused on how we can farm uh, insects very in an efficient way that we are missing the biggest part of marketing it. Because, like, yeah, once we publish our brand, we have the uh, IP, which we built for two years by receiving a government grant from government. And like, we have been through that process. But I think, as I mentioned before, there is, we see a lack of marketing activities that we needed. Like when you look at the plant base, that success didn't come one day, one year, or like it has been 10, 15 years. They are putting in so much effort, not just R&D, but the marketing. So I think insect industry, uh, we are so focused on focusing on the efficiency of the production, but we are missing the marketing side that we wanted to fill the gap in. Great, thank you. I mean, I, I take the opportunity to ask a second question, actually. Um, if I understand correctly, you are uh, actually formulating a, a complete product with cricket powder and also plant-based protein in, in, in the product. How, how flexible are you to uh, respond to your consumer needs? I mean, do you have a defined formulation based on the American consumption or requirements of protein? Or what, what is your target to formulate your product? And, and how is that adaptable eventually. Oh, thank you so much. That's a very good, great question. So we formulated is taking the actual meat as our marker, but um, what we didn't put, for example, GMOs in it to fake the meat taste. We don't want to use any ingredient which is going to like harm our consumer, but also we want to um, provide a complete diet to, uh, for them. Uh, different than plant-based. So we are pl flexible in K 
case, like if it's a good thing for our consumer, like we have high fiber, we are not only focusing on replicating the protein content. We are bringing very like, um, instead of modified starch, we are putting psyllium or like old fiber, those kind of uh, good content to our product. So we are flexible in case uh, if they are healthy and are being produced ethically. That's the other thing that we are looking for from our suppliers. Great, thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for the question. Esther, thank you so much. MJ, what are your thoughts? Thank you. Uh, Ezra, I'm curious, just to clarify, you have a powdered ingredient and it's a combination of cricket powder and plant proteins, correct? Uh, yeah, it's not just protein, like the whole, um, like there's fiber in it, there's fat in it, like everything mm -hmm. else, like it's- uh, So you're using more of like a, like a whole milled form of crickets as opposed to like an isolated ingredient. Yeah, yeah, it's like literally normally we were, we were about to launch it as frozen burger patty, mm -hmm. um, like other plant-based. Uh, the difference was going to be we would have cricket powder as well as we are lack of other things that I think they are using, like very high sodium and those other things that are unhealthy in the plant-based products. But during this period, during the pandemic, what we have noticed was the market share, like the demand increased a lot, but people were not able to, either grocery shops couldn't get them because there was a disruption in the supply chain and people mm -hmm. couldn't store them because you need the refrigeration and people didn't want to go to grocery shop, shops, but um, there was not available e-commerce uh, getting the meat or plant-based, which is affordable. So mm -hmm. um, we sit down and think how we can produce something for people, they can actually get it um, in an affordable way and can store as much as they want. And yeah. they can prepare okay. at home because we have seen everybody was baking at home. <laughs> so I was mm -hmm. like, okay, the, the consumer behavior is changing. There are, people are more open to uh, spend time on cooking at home. So that's how we came up with the powder mix. But the only thing you make is like the difference. You have the powder, you have the oil mix, you mix them together and you put the water in and then you just refrigerate it and eat whenever you want. Um, so basically it's a plant-based product like other plant-based, just we are letting our consumer um, to make it at home as well as they can season it and do uh, whichever they want from it. Understood. That's a lot of parameters and uh, to work under and uh, a major adaptation to your original plan. Congrats on figuring all that out. And um, I think ambient storage and the supply chain makes a lot of sense from a sustainability point of view as well. Um, I am curious just because I haven't worked with cricket powder before outside of like bars and beverages. I haven't worked on it in a plant-based meat type application. Can you highlight some of inherent characteristics that make it perhaps um, beneficial or leading beyond what plant protein ingredients can traditionally offer. Um, and I'm especially curious to know how it behaves when being cooked, things like browning or aroma. So from the, um, the first question, the things that you can have with cricket powder is the essential amino acids. So we can provide them all in one product uh, and there is B12 without harming. Um, so there is ethical point. Some people think that insects feel pain, which they don't, uh, mm. but like without like hurting the animals, you can actually 
gain the animal protein that our body needs without using so many supplements and other things, uh, which it, like cricket also has high B12, which is 40 times more than animal products. So we can serve that in the burger, uh, while, but because it has 70, almost 70% of protein, as you know, we cannot eat 70 gram protein just from one product during our one-day diet. That is why we are mixing it with plant-based, other plant-based products, as well as bringing the texture into it. That is why we are using everything together. We cannot just uh, feed people uh, with 70% of protein while they not everybody is really calculating what they are consuming per day. When it comes to the taste, we are, because we, it's mixed with something which you can sometimes even feel the pea protein more than others. But our flavor is, uh, we use, uh, we created also our spice mix that is bringing the spices that you would normally feel, taste in meat products, but we are keeping it subtle the way that our consumer can personalize it as well. I hope I was able to answer your question. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the nutritional profile of insects. I was just curious if there was something that it that it had as far as like an inherent functional ability. And I know this will vary by ingredient, um, but yeah, with browning and aroma, I was wondering if there might be an advantage there. I think it's kind of like um, the cricket powder functionality. Yes, there are, I think there are things helping to cons- having the last product, but our focusing focus was not the functionality of the cricket powder, but more the nutritional and sustainable side of it. Got it. That that does make sense. And I just want to touch upon something that was said earlier. It disturbed me a little bit. You had said that there's um, no pain cost to insects as a part of their processing. And I don't know if that can be proven or not, but I very much approached this from an animal welfare point of view. And um, I don't know if that's something you're advertising, but it's not something that I find convincing as a consumer. So we are, we didn't put it anywhere, but I want to actually write a blog post about it. Uh, you cannot really prove it. You cannot, as well as you cannot prove the plants don't feel the pain neither. Same uh, experiment. The same experiment was done. They reacted the same way because the thing we, when we call it it's pain is different than a feeling or a reaction to it. But the basic, the um, so I have talked with so many uh, academicians, including here in Boston area. Um, I have academician friends uh, from neuroscience coming from the uh, same school. And we, I talked to them as well. Um, and I wanna, t- as I mentioned, I wanna uh, touch on those in a blog post. They agree that they cannot really feel the pain the way they, the cows can feel. But the most basic answer, let's say, like a public answer, the reason that we have, we feel pain is sensing the danger for our survival and if we are talking about insects which live like three days they cannot even if they feel the pain they cannot like learn and avoid those dangers as well as they cannot uh, recover from that pain it doesn't give like feeling the pain doesn't give them any advantage in their survival journey That's why it doesn't make sense for insects to feel that pain, especially, for example, we are talking about if we are talking about crustaceans like oysters, for example, even if like if we say that they feel pain, they cannot even run away from something. 
they are like stuck in a place that they cannot run away. Why in the evolution they should feel the pain if they cannot even react and if it's not going to provide an advantage for them in their survival? That's an interesting perspective. And it's okay that I don't think that we'll see eye to eye on this. I just wanted to, to voice that concern. No, I totally understand. And I'm sure we will hear it from so many people. And again, we don't need to convince everyone. This is my perspective. And this is coming from a science background that I have and coming from um, different part of the science, not just like neuroscience, but when you are talking about the science, it's all other things. Like I think evolution is makes so much sense in this concept. And again, not everybody has to agree with it. And we are not trying to sell the product to everyone. We are actually not try even targeting the vegetarian or vegan people because they are already doing the right thing. We are here trying to incentivize the uh, animal, uh, animal production, like the meat, red meat production. So that's why I don't feel any reason to try to convince everyone. Esra, thank you so much for sharing this. MJ, thanks for, for the question. I have a follow-up question here. Um, with the market is already challenging when uh, on itself because it's new. There, there, needs, there needs a lot of uh, evangelization of marketing in order for the people really to embrace more and more this cause or to go mainstream, especially when you are in the shelf, right? You are, you are now uh, challenged... Uh, I guess almost twice. One is changing the behavior, people accepting a new product, but also then the way that they actually get slash create their own product, right? The question here really is, as a startup, you have all hands full with all the kind of priorities all in parallel, right? What are your ways, uh, your, your educational strategy, you go to market, how do you think about changing two behavior? One, the product on itself, which is new. Secondly, the way that you consume your product. What, are, what, are, what do you have in mind on how to surpass basically these, these challenges? I guess when you say uh, consuming the product, you are talking about do it yourself, not like uh, selling it ready to eat, right? Ready right. to cook. Okay, that's a great question. So people are open to education more than ever because we have noticed this year about climate change more than ever. We uh, noticed that our health is so important. The nutrition that we need to receive from what we consume is so important. So I think it's very right time to launch such a product. And as I mentioned, people are more open to cooking at home, but we are not just relying on the B2C consumer. There are so many things going on also in the supply chain when it comes to restaurants or hotels, but we are not talking about this right now because they're already having their own issues. I hope this uh, will gonna end soon so they can keep their businesses. But once we come um, to that point, also, so during pandemic, we are gonna focus on e-commerce. Let's uh, summarize it that way. Um, people have more time to cook at home. And if there is an, more affordable but much healthier and more sustainable product i will as a consumer i will definitely get that one especially when i have time to cook at home uh maybe maybe Esther, i i would like i think it's very valuable to hear the insights and getting the the perspective of an entrepreneur living exactly this challenge maybe let me rephrase my questions 
how have you been valid, right? One thing is having an assumption, right? Which you said, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because the product is not on the market. I right? say, hey, I think that they will oh, like it. Oh, I get it. <laughs> how have you been validating right now the yeah. assumption okay. of people would, you know, what, what was the process like? Okay, sorry, I thought this was uh, just a perspective question. Uh, So we have been doing actually uh, feedback sessions. We created our consumer journey, which I would like you to be a part of as well. If you want to try the product, you can, I can send you email the link and I can send you the sample. So once we send you the sample, you are going to go through receiving it and having the information how to cook it. And then um, we would like to see what you created with it. And then at the end of it, we have a customer interview with you. Uh, Our team will have like, um, depending on your availability, but around uh, 20 to 30 minutes of interview session, or if you prefer a feedback session. So we have been doing these interviews. We did it before we created the product, but also during this period, we are also uh, questioning it and they're all encouraging we are having a hard time receiving negative feedback so we can improve our product awesome well thank you so much definitely interested Ezra um, I have uh, a my wife is a is a is a chef uh, focused a lot on uh, she has a book on the market too so she if she's watching you see I'm doing propaganda right now for my wife but yes I'm more than happy, <laughs> I'm more than happy to to test your products as I send them over I have only one final question before we switch uh, to uh, Jonathan um, Ezra as an entrepreneur um, what is your priority number one in a 90-day plan from now up to the end of the year uh, here, try to hear as much as I can from the consumer. Uh, it's very important for us to improve as much as we can before our heavy launch, we call, which is going to be January, but we are um, still like in the process of launching. But what we will do heavy launch will be uh, in the new after the new year. And, so, yeah. And how are you empowering the consumer to bring you the feedback? What, what did you build? What's the flow there? I mean, if you ask people their uh, thoughts, they people are uh, so much so willing to give you the feedback. Okay. Uh, especially, uh, we didn't have any hard time, and we are using the advantage of people having time more than ever. Okay, perfect, awesome. Well, you heard it. Thank you so much, Ezra, service entrepreneur biologist, founder at Naturanza and Funa Foods. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your endeavor. Well, Jonathan, please start sharing your screen if you want to present something, right? Yeah, thank you. Let me get that together here. So hello, everybody. Uh, Thanks for being here. I'm Jonathan Netsky. I'm the founder of Local Alternative Foods. And um, I tend to speak fairly quick when I'm doing these presentations. I get excited and passionate, so buckle up. Um, by degree, I'm actually a mechanical engineer and by passion, uh, an agriculturalist with an emphasis on food and local commerce. I would kind of combine my backgrounds into the Next Veg product lines that I'll be sharing with you today. Think of Next Veg as being, well, to meet replacements, what grass-fed beef is as compared to mass-produced CAFO beef, meaning Next Veg is about better products as a result of a better process. So it's clear that the booming market for meat alternatives remains quite far from addressing the real concerns that consumers are now voicing. The latest plant-based demand creators claim it's, it's frankly all about taste, price, and convenience. Yet consumers are informing themselves 
and they're keying on the importance of clean, whole food ingredients that they understand the relationship to their health and environmental benefits. This left a gaping hole for better products that can meet that demand. And now my company, Local Alternative, works almost exclusively in food service with chefs and restaurateurs who have an even different lens on the challenges in plant-based dining. You know, most of them have considered veggie burgers uh, a necessary evil. They're historically made from substandard ingredients and they lack the culinary versatility to support their well-curated and otherwise predominantly real food menus. So our prospects and clients are sharing that the new age of fake meats are actually competing directly with ground beef. Well, while that's their intention, this challenge is one of the highest profit converting items to the restaurant. And with some of these products costing 400% more than ground beef and only having a shelf life of two to four days, the resulting in waste due to spoilage and is further decreasing the profit potential and it's really nullifying their value proposition to many operators of every scale. So if we look at the, the market opportunity overall, you know, based on the current studies that you can see presented here, there's at least a $35 billion market for plant-based meats coming to the table. And while proof that you know, tremendous demand exists for better products that can solve these problems, um, I'm gonna break this down further in a few minutes um, to the market that we really see and understand. Uh, first, understand as well that these indicators are based exclusively on ingredient isolates, concentrates, and protein flours. It isn't hard to see that the ingredients used to make meat alternatives, other than the oils, well, they simply aren't ingredients chosen for use in our homes, or in fact, even in commercial kitchens. They're heavily processed to meet the needs of industrial scale production equipment. They also help build good looking nutrition panels. Unfortunately, they're not highly nutritiously diverse products, just good nutrition panels. None of them serve as specialty or highlight ingredient capable of drawing attention to a menu item. More often than not, they're actually pushing away discerning diners, be it as an allergen or an unknown ingredient that they're not familiar with cooking with. The core meat alternative ingredients are far from what anyone would define as clean and every step in transforming an ingredient from its natural grown form into a heavily processed ingredient that, that you see here has indubitably destroyed flavor and nutrition while creating waste and increasing the carbon footprint. We've worked with several American Culinary Federation certified chefs, leading hospitality chefs to elevate the plant-based center of the plate protein beyond the veggie burger. Together with them, we've really solved for top shelf quality, culinary versatility, and food service profitability. We've not only chosen ingredients for flavor and protein quality, but for inherent social responsibility as well. You know, the tepary beans that we, you see here are indigenous to the Sonoran Desert. They're dry farmed on federally impoverished lands of the Akamel Odom tribe. And these beans have actually been studied for their ability to reverse the diabetic condition in one of the most diabetes plague communities in the world at the same time as being touted as a most sustainable and humane protein source on earth. Now that's a menu highlight that our customers are really getting leverage out of. So welcome to the Everyone Can Eat It non-allergen and first certified whole food plant-based ready to cook protein lines that are designed for food service. We call it NextVeg. 
The key, like anything else, using the best ingredients that offer the greatest impact. You know, here we're highlighting hemp really for its ability to contribute to 16 grams of complete protein in a four ounce patty and its ability to offset carbon as hemp can sequester more carbon during its rapid growth cycle than any other plant on earth. So how do we bring together delicious, wholesome and profitable? Well, frankly, it's not by, by spending energy isolating the constituent fats, fiber and protein. We keep the great ingredients in their whole form and use our proprietary micro-batching IP to extol all the flavor, nutrition, and binders needed to really machine or hand form the raw products that you see here on the table. You know, this highly disruptive processing technology we call F-cubed. It's designed to process fresh whole foods at any scale. It's now simultaneously producing three product lines in five different flavors on a single scalable production work cell. You know, by purveying, processing, and distributing in a lean discipline, NextFetch accomplishes optimal nutritional outcomes. We have 95% conversion of all incoming weight, that's, that's ingredients and their packaging, to our finished goods. And the resulting waste is just 0.5% of everything that comes in our door. So most importantly, these are products that anyone would eat and enjoy while they're striving to a carbon and water neutral footprint to achieve, you know, true sustainability. You know, it, it really does come down to choosing the right whole food ingredients and lightly combining them. We're creating a paradigm shift in the industry, a shift from the notion of being more sustainable than something else, which is really just a marketing spin on saying, well, we're doing less harm than something else, to a reality of do no harm or do good. You know, while, while some companies are claiming a 90% carbon reduction over beef, one of the most polluting, uh, carbon polluting uh, industries on earth, the overwhelming use of refined oil and heavily processed isolates results in a carbon footprint that's actually 90% greater than that of NextVeg's 100% whole food hemp and seed line. We're seeing the value of this in food service as the first legit chain Just Salad just two weeks ago published the first carbon footprint menus throughout every item in all 50 plus of their locations, allowing diners to actually choose not just on nutrition or appearance or ingredient list, but on the carbon footprint of their food. Now, let's also be very clear that there's an overwhelming bona fide medical evidence that whole food plant-based is healthier than eating whole food animal forward diet and has far healthier outcomes than heavily processed plant-based diets. So, you know, products and process hopefully now understood, you know, let me further delve into the market opportunity we see. There's solid evidence that we are out in front of the whole food plant-based opportunity in protein, including the fact that it's not yet even considered in the indicators of the future protein production or demand. So in a growing, you know, trillion plus dollar meat marketplace, there's a clear opportunity to claim a swath of the vegan, vegetarian, and flexitarian market with whole food plant-based proteins. You know, I present that the value added whole food products that solve for true sustainability and a healthy yet delicious lifestyle at just five to 10% represents a hundred to $200 billion market opportunity. 
you know, and how does NextVeg really perform in the marketplace? As we've talked about working in food service, you know, the consistent answer is about twice as well as other plant-based products that compete for the same spot on the menu. You know, in fact, this story that you're looking at here is one of a company that attempted to find profits with both the leading fake meat products for a year each, and then with a nut burger after that. NextVeg replaced that nut burger and has outperformed all of them, doubling their category revenue for the restaurant chain. So where are we headed? Well, here, here's what we're after for the next 15 months. The values for the size of the market here are actually, because I don't feel a, a great level of confidence in some of the studies that I, I reported as it relates to whole food plant-based, this is actual data from our annual sales where we took the average value of a, a, an account in these markets and we multiplied it by the number of opportunities in each market. So, and, and, and by the way, that not COVID adjusted this and we all have to respect that, you know, Harvard just put out a study that shows that the food industry has been hit three times harder in terms of job loss than any other industry via COVID. So, you know, having sold as well as part of our proof of concept into university K-12, um, hospital, corporate, banquets and catering, and, and even grocery uh, for, for a CPG product, with the right investment at this point in time, we actually understand how to accelerate our expansion into those markets simultaneously to the targeting that you see here. So, you know, the big, the big picture for us going forward, you know, back, back in Q1, we actually expanded our facility from the proof of concept to address national opportunity. And March was on pace to more than double the 2019. And well, on the 13th, and if, I won't forget it, Friday, the 13th of March, we didn't see another dime in revenue for the rest of the month. Yet our unique production systems allowed us to continue to serve the same quality and on-demand consistency to the degree that several clients, even one of our distributors, came to us in the last two months and complimented us for being the only vendor they have that's maintaining that level of supplier integrity since the onset of the pandemic. So, you know, I'm, at this point, I'm actually overjoyed to share that we just got our September numbers through and we're actually back to growth. We're 9% up from last year, September, and believe that COVID will actually render 2021 menu changes to be the most health and sustainability focused opportunities in our history. And so we're now tracking a forecast for 2021 of 300 to 1,000% growth. Uh, achieving that will position us to build out our cell-based modular F-cubed lean production system actually into shipping containers as it's originally been designed for. So it can go anywhere in the world. We'll create new recipes based on the local and regional ingredients and flavors present in each of those markets, as we've done here in the Southwest with the tepary bean and other ingredients. And that'll really allow us to, to close the gap between agriculture and consumption, offering clean, clean quality proteins regionally and affordably around, around the world, you know, one step and one day at a time. Jonathan, thank you so much for the presentation. Congratulations on your endeavor. MJ, what are your thoughts? Hey, Jonathan, that was a really great presentation. Um, thank you so much for providing us with that depth of knowledge when it comes to your products. As a product developer, I'm often looking right at the products. I really appreciated seeing the labels, the ingredient declaration. And I noticed something off to the, um, the far right corner, which was SOS for no added sugar, oil, or salt. And I have come to find in my own work as a product development consultant that this is 
something that's rising in popularity as far as a formulation priority. So I'd like to know a little bit about why that may be, as well as any facts or figures you can share about the size of that population that's interested in that kind of declaration. Um, and if you see it being possibly the next level of clean label for the food industry. You know, excellent question. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that I probably have you know, more hours of feet on the street than a lot of people towards that question. So, um, you know, what we really came to was over the past year, we made an effort uh, prior to uh, COVID hitting, actually, we made an effort into the CPG realm. And in doing so, um, the product lines were already uh, free of added sugars and added oils. So that product really just removes all of the seasoning, including the salt in that one flavor variety from that product line. And so we, what we understand is this is really based on a nutritarian diet. That diet was founded by John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods Market, mm -hmm. and a doctor by the name of Dr. Joel Furman. In pursuing that market, we found it to be, um, from an e-commerce perspective, a digital perspective, almost minuscule, um, not viable for national business through, you know, fulfillment centers at this point in time. Uh, now, that said, the product has a dual purpose for us. If you recall, I, we're really 100% still focused on food service and have returned to those roots. This product gives us the ability to give uh, uh, one of our formulas to the chef, allow them to create their own seasoning blend, and then give that back to us so that we can make the seasoning blend in the product for them, reducing labor in their kitchen to put out the high quality whole food plant-based form. Now, at the same time, it's actually a delicious product. <laughs> and without any seasoning at all, all of those whole foods come together and create a lot of flavor. So the, the reality of what we are seeing in the marketplace, rather than an outward an outcry for an SOS product, we've actually seen Live Kindly, one of the largest you know, media organizations in plant-based after um, a very long time and many discussions with them we had in the last few months they put out a segment called nutritiously and nutritiously is exclusively dedicated to whole food plant-based and so what, what I believe to be the case is that whole food plant-based actually eliminates the oil without eliminating the salt which is much harder for us to do and still maintain delicious food right? And so whole food plant-based is starting to gain some energy. And I've seen that in five or six other places where, um, you know, we're literally the only whole food plant-based certified product in the world for an international organization of WFPB.org. The only other food item even certified is a farm that sells blueberries. So it's, it's not something easy to do and be able to scale to a viable, um, uh, qu qu quantity of product in the marketplace when, you know, the, the market for something like SOS right now is very niche, very small, and I think very uh, focused on um, prevention and, and curative lifestyle medicine. Does that answer your question? It, yeah, it totally does. And that's a really interesting strategy. So if I understand correctly, your SOS is actually kind of like a blank canvas approach to your food service clients that they can customize their own spice and ingredient blend into, and that you would later customize for them on a commercial scale, as well as being this SOS offering to the consumer. Am I right? 
It, it is. It's very much so the dual reality to it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we have a, had an account that created, a, that makes homemade sausages and they wanted to, they, they actually deep fry one of our products and they made a spicy Italian blend. And the work mm-hmm. for them to mix it in was difficult. They asked us to take over. And that was really where the SOS product, you know, was innovated from. Got it. Quick question. Um, if you're able to share, what are your MOQs for customizing something from your SOS blend for a food service partner? M- what is an MOQ? I'm sorry. I'm oh, not- I'm sorry. Your minimum order quantity. It's oh, just uh, like that's it's- such a great idea to customize, but often customization comes at very large quantities, which makes a lot of this not feasible for, for small companies. You know, I, I absolutely love that question because based on the way that we act, do our lean manufacturing, mm-hmm. our minimum order quantity is a single case, 24 pound case we can mm-hmm. make in any flavor at any point in time. And so it's really been a premise for us to be able to work with any scale of opportunity from, you know, we've innovated products for residential dining at one of the top five largest universities in the country. Um, our number one flavor was actually invented one case at a time, working with the restaurants throughout all of the Grand Canyon, uh, which arguably has the most diverse audience for taste testing in the world mm-hmm. um, on a seasonal basis. And so that ability to, to, to drive our products forward and not have minimum quantities opens our doors up to every caliber and scale of client. It really does. I've never heard of an MOQ that low, which is really fantastic. Congratulations on that major accomplishment. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank, Thank you. you, MJ. Thank you, Jonathan. Nathan, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm uh, pretty impressed first. I mean, it's a great product, and I mean, it clearly cuts the, um, the maybe the, the negative image one could have on, on, on plant-based protein with over-processing that could negatively affect the nutritional point of it. Pretty convincing, honestly. Um, so yeah, again, congratulations for that. Um, maybe Linking back to the previous presentation, I will have a, a specific question and, and a quick one on, on nutritional uh, aspects. If actually there could be some potential lacks of any kind of nutrients in your products compared to what we spoke about before, insects and the presence of essential amino acids, B12, that is not often present in plant-based diets. What are your views on that and how do you compensate that potentially with your products? You know, fantastic question. And so we've had to address that directly. Um, the hemp and seed line you see there, you know, we're using the, the top three forms of complete protein in the plant-based world. And so from a complete protein perspective, all the essential amino acids are there. In our tepary bean line, we actually found that the tepary bean was lacking in lysine. And so as part of the formulation, we also have Navajo blue corn available in great abundance in our region and it's very high in lysine. And so we've been able to balance out the amino acids so that it's transparent really to the end user of the product to get a full and complete protein profile. Now B12 on the other hand is is another question and it's not something that we've addressed by adding it to our product. Um, We have gone one to, to a second degree and it's something that I haven't presented here except if you read the details in the last slide and that is as part of uh, transitioning I should say part of our testing in the consumer world, we wanted to create a product that um, was easy to ship anywhere. And in doing so, we also wanted to meet the number one demand that we've had from our food service client base, and that is cheese. Can you give us a dairy-free, non-allergen, plant-based cheese? And so where we've addressed the B12 is by making 
uh, whole food, plant-based, vegan, cheesy sauce and nacho sauce that contains nutritional yeast with the supplements of B12 in it. And so it's not directly being added to any of our proteins, but it is something that we offer, um, you know, as a supplement. And we believe that our client base is either flexitarian where they're already getting B12 or they're conscious of their need for it. Great. Thanks a lot. And, and for the record in food service, I cannot share a restaurant with you that actually serves bacon that has not served our product with bacon and cheese on it. It's just part of the way people choose to eat. And, you know, we believe if we can replace that giant hunk of meat with something that's more ethical, we, we've made an incredible stride there. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nathan uh, and, and Jonathan. Thank you so much. We could, we could talk for hours, right? MJ said, oh, I have more questions. I'm, I'm pretty confident Nathan too, and maybe answer one or the other, right? But I want to be respectful of everybody's uh, time. I really thank you guys for joining this 11 episode of, uh, of Top Floor. And I would like to bottom line, like we usually do here at Top Floor, where the mission is not just to convey to the world, share with the world, pick brains of uh, entrepreneurs, scientists, and others, and, and, and make this topic more, more tangible, right? But also to create connections, right? Now, my question here is, MJ, let's start with you. Curious to have some more insight on how the to mix the product from, from, from Estra, yes or no? You wanna follow the conversation, follow up on the conversation? Well, I'm always interested in continuing a conversation and Ezra, I would very much enjoy reading your blog piece when you are done writing it or while you are writing it. Awesome, so we'll make, more than happy to make the intro. And MJ, how about uh, Jonathan? More curious to, to have more information there? Yeah, uh, well, you, you know, Tomasa, you do a really great job of bringing in interesting people to have conversations with. So yes, of course, I'd be interested in having a conversation again with Jonathan. Excellent, excellent. And by the way, I share this, uh, this compliment with the entire team that is actually doing the, the heavy lifting on the back end. Thanks, teams. Uh, you guys are awesome, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and also here, um, yeah, uh, Nathan, what are your thoughts uh, about uh, Jonathan? I would say MJ said everything. I mean, uh, you're doing a great job, actually, and uh, I'm pretty happy to continue the conversation. Um, I've been working more on my side on, on the alternative protein from insects, so it's pretty interesting to continue uh, the conversation with Ezra. But I was really also pretty convinced by Jonathan's uh, job and, and, and presentation as well. So happy to connect and uh, discuss further. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. And thanks again as well for the top floor. That was a great uh, discovery for me. No, thank you so much, Nathan. Uh, thank you so much, MJ, Jonathan, Astra. I always say I love to be the dumbest in the room. I learned so much every single uh, episode that we do, right? Um, thank you for uh, for committing also, Nathan, this this late hours. I know you are on the other on the other side, right, of the world. Uh, at that time, I either sleep or have a beer in my hand, right, or. <laughs> I wouldn't say both of them, right? Because it sounds kind of weird, right? It looks like tea, but you don't know, finally. There you go. There you go. And, and I usually wrap up always with, with a quote, a quote that really uh, not only touches my heart, but something that I, I learned to craft over the last uh, 20 years of doing, um, you know, startups here and there, which goes like this. Never forget where you come from. It keeps you humble. But where you come from cannot limit where you want to go. And with that, I would like to end also and wrap up this uh, episode. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Ezra, Jonathan, MJ. I really loved it. We'll do the connection. Have a great rest of your week and see you next time. Bye-bye.
Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, everyone. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.